Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Welcome back, everybody. Everybody at Hohog, it is a delight to be with you all today and everybody watching all over the internet. It is so cool that we can get together, hundreds and hundreds of us from all over the country, and have church together, and it is just a privilege to be with you today. Now, we are continuing in our series called Fearless, and we are going to deal with a topic that affects everybody at one point or another, and most of us a lot of the time, and that is the fear of want or the fear of not having enough. We are in interesting times, aren't we? The interesting financial times, difficult financial times. I was reading an article the other day. Uh, Colgate has a new toothpaste that's coming out. They're expecting it to uh, retail for $10 a tube for a tube of toothpaste. Natural gas costs are up to heat our houses. Natural gas costs are up 50% year over year. We've paid 50% more this year than we did last year. Electricity, the same. The average used car last year sold for $20,000. This year, it's selling for $27,000. Nor being told that meat will be a luxury item. Whew! Never in my lifetime, and I went to fill up two, uh, two little uh, gas cans the other day, 40 bucks, and if you fill up a car or a truck on a regular basis, it's killing us. But there is some historic context for all this. I grew up in the 1970s. I was a little kid, but I remember a lot of it. I remember the gas lines to, because there wasn't enough gas to go around and the price of gas just shooting through the roof. I remember double-digit inflation. I remember skyrocketing prices on everything. I remember, I remember the president getting on television and saying, we all need to turn the temperature down in our house and put on a sweater. I remember people buying wood stoves, including my folks, to heat the house so that we were warm through the winter. It was kind of a scary time, but here's the deal and the encouraging part of that as well. We made it through. We, we all made it through the 70s. We all made it through a time of significant inflation, very similar to what we're dealing with now. And we'll make it through this time as well. This is not the end of the world. It's not fun, but it's not the end of the world. But for some of us, for some of this financially, this is a crisis time. We, there's not enough month left at the end of the money, and, and, and you're going into debt just to cover the difference. And this is a really, really hard time. For some of us, it's, a, it's, it's not that significant yet or wh whatever, but we're stretching, we're, we're making lifestyle adjustments. We're not driving as much, not buying as much, not going out as much. We're changing our lifestyle to, to, you know, to flex with the times. For some of us, we're looking at our, our pending retirement and wondering, am I gonna have to work another five or 10 years? And some of us are doing well. Some of us, we have businesses or whatever, and, and, and you're, making, you're making good money and, and you're keeping up, and, and that's great. But regardless, regardless of whether you're struggling to, to just get through the month or you're doing well, we all struggle with the temptation to put our hope in money and to put money and stuff in first place in our lives. And Jesus knew this would be the case. At one point, Jesus is teaching his disciples about worry, and specifically worry surrounded, surrounding our things 
and money and material possessions. And he said this, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus understood that the number one competition for first place in our hearts and in our lives, the number one competition for God, because God is God and he needs to be in the first place position in our lives, the number one competition was money. And so the question is, and and really kind of the litmus test for this is, where is your hope? Where are you paying most attention to? Where is your primary affection, security, identity, and where do you get your sense of freedom? If it's in having enough stuff in the bank or having enough stuff, period, and not God, then things are out of balance in your life, and there will never be peace around this topic. Now, There's two parts to this message. And the first part is dealing with how we think about money. We learned last week, change the way you think, change your life. It all starts up here, and then it gets fleshed out and lived out in our lives. So we're going to take the first part of this message and look at how to think about money. Um, The Bible has a lot to say on this topic. Second part of this message is how to manage our money, how to, what to do with it, and how to, to manage it in a way that practically brings freedom to our lives. And the Bible has a lot to say about that as well. In Philippians 4, verse 11, it says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, I have learned. If you have your Bible out, go ahead and underline, I have learned. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. That pretty much covers any and every situation. He has learned how to be content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, that last verse, verse 13 there, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We, uh, as Christians, love to take that, that passage or that verse out of context and put it on the refrigerator or on a coffee mug or wherever, and, and, and it, people grab onto it and go, I, I can accomplish anything. I can do anything because I got Jesus on my team. He's inside. I can do whatever I want. I can achieve whatever I want. But context matters. That is not the context in which Paul was talking about. And I'm here to tell you, you can't do anything you want even with Jesus on your team. If you're five foot five and weigh 120 pounds, I promise you, you will never play in the NFL. Jesus or no Jesus, you're not going to the NFL. It's not gonna happen. But that's not really what Paul was saying. What Paul was saying is he learned how to be content. And because he's learned to place his hope, his faith in Jesus and Jesus's presence in his life, giving him strength to get through times of plenty and times of want. And, and it, it, it doesn't really matter the conditions that he's walking through. He can do all things. He can get through and not just get through, but thrive through the tight times and through the times of plenty. It's about finding contentment in him. And it's interesting. I love his wording. He says, I've learned. So even the apostle Paul 
had to learn this. It wasn't a matter of spiritual maturity. It wasn't a matter of closeness to Christ. Even Paul had to learn to be content. He had to learn to think about money a certain way and and possessions a certain way and, and what to do with them as well. Well, let's define the term financial freedom. I think this is really important. Financial freedom I'm defining as a life free from excessive worry about money. Let me say that again. A life free from excessive worry about money. It has nothing to do with how many zeros are on the end of your bank account. It has nothing to do with how much money you've got stored away. Uh, It has everything to do with being free from excessive worry about money, regardless of how many zeros. Now, excessive worry, I want want to point out here, excessive worry, that, that is key, because there are times when we should be concerned. And it's okay to be concerned. Remember what fear is, is for? It is to warn us that there's something on the horizon that we probably need to take action on. And it's okay to have concern about finances. Say there, there are layoffs coming at work, and you know there are layoffs coming at work, and it's very likely that you're going to be laid off. Well, hopefully you would be concerned enough about that to take action and maybe look for another job have something lined up ahead of time rather than just kind of like ignoring that. It would make sense to be concerned. So it's excessive worry. The worry we're called not to have is that that kind of despairing worry that keeps you up at night, laying awake, thinking about it, worrying about it, spinning out of control in all directions. It's the kind of worry that that causes you to to, uh, lash out at the people you love the most because you're so out of control inside. That's the kind of worry that Paul is instructing us not to have. All right, so financial freedom is a life free from excessive worry about money, but it is also, there's another side to this, financial freedom is freedom from the endless pursuit of more. It's freedom from the endless pursuit of more. The person who can never get enough is as trapped as the person who doesn't have enough because they are a slave to to their love of money. And there's no freedom in that. There's no freedom in that. They did a survey a few years back and they asked people all across the financial income uh, spectrum how much more money they would need in order to feel secure or to buy them a little bit of cushion so that life would be better? Like how much more a year would you need to make? And they asked people who made $30,000 and they asked people who made $300,000 and everybody in between. You know what the answer was? It was the same regardless of whether they made $30,000 or $300,000. It was somewhere between eleven dollars and $15,000 is what they needed in order to feel like life really improved. So, My question is, what happens when you're making $30,000 a year and then you all of a sudden get $15,000 more? You're making $45,000 a year. Well, you're going to need another 15 because it just, it doesn't stop. Even at 300,000, they need another 15. So it's this moving target. Like I always have to have a little bit more. The question is how much more do you need is a little bit more, a little bit more, and you'll chase that the rest of your life. The secret to peace is contentment. In 1 Timothy verse 6, or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6, it says, but godliness 
In other words, a good relationship with God, an obedient relationship to, with, with God. I can sleep at night because I am good with God. With contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. Doesn't get any better than that. In Hebrews 13, 5, the writer of Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Proverbs 23, 4 says, do not wear yourselves out to get rich. Chasing money, just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. How many people have traded time with the people that they love just to get a little bit more? How many people have just, you know, nose to the grindstone, I've got my retirement goal, I'm going to work, I'm working, I'm working. You get to retirement and within a year or two, they're dead. Now you hear stories of that all the time, and it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon, and the tragedy isn't the fact that they died. The tragedy is the fact that they failed to live in all those years in between. They missed the relationships with their kids or friends or whoever else. Guys, financial freedom and peace starts with how we think about money. So how... Should we think about money? What does the Bible have to say about that? Well, the first thing is this, and if you have, your, if you have some notes, you can, you can uh, write these things down. I encourage you to do that. And the first, first point on how to think about money is this. Money does not equal God's favor. Money does not equal God's fa- favor. The measure of God's favor towards your life is your relationship with him, your obedience to him, and that right relationship with him. It's not your net worth. It's not your success. That is a dangerous road to go down. You will go through this life, and there will be times that you do well, and there will be times that things aren't going so well. God's favor and his love towards your life have not changed. In 2 Timothy verse six, or chapter 6, verse 5, He's talking about people whose minds have been corrupted and who have been robbed of the truth. And he says, and they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Sounds a lot like a televangelist, right? We just, you know, if it's, it's about if, if I get this God thing right, then I, you know, God will quote unquote bless me and I'll have lots of, lots of money. If God's favor means that you have a big bank account, then God's favorite people on earth are going to be cartel bosses, movie stars, and corrupt politicians. And that's not true. You know it, and I know it. You know, God's favorite in the Old Testament, one of his favorite guys who lived was a guy named Job. Job was the wealthiest man on the planet at the time, and he was God's dude. And then Job lost everything. And God still loved Job, still favored Job, still thought the world of Job. See, God is good in the good days and as good in the good days as he is in the days that aren't so good. And the scriptures and the promises of God are as true in the good times as they are in the bad times. His favor has nothing to do with with what you have or don't have. Second thing, as far as our thinking about money, is this. Your net worth does not equal your self-worth. Net worth does not equal self-worth. Your value is not linked to your bank account. You 
are a uniquely and wonderfully made human being with tremendous value, not just to God, but just as a human being. You know, we uh, recently uh, adopted a ministry in Costa Rica feeding street children. And the pastor that we're working with down there, his name's Caesar, he has, he has this little church in this slum. It's the, church is, the church is made of, of scrap metal, all pieced together. It sits right on this little creek that's running with sewage and garbage in it. It's just this tiny metal shack, and it is uh, surrounded by a bunch of tiny metal shacks. It's the whole neighborhood. And, and we're feeding between 75 and 100 kids a day um, because they're not getting food anywhere else. And Pastor Caesar and his wife Vanessa get up every day and put on the food and, and cook for these kids. And, um, and he's got this tiny little church. The church meets in, the, in this t- same metal shack. They feed the kids in this same little metal shack. Okay, and I'm a pastor too, right? I'm a pastor of a, of a bigger church in, in America. Am I more valuable than Pastor Caesar because I was born in America and I get to pastor this church? And the answer is absolutely not, not even close. In fact, I would, I mean, what he does every day, I am in awe of. Our, our, our net worth does not determine our self-worth. It's... it's it's so important to get this through our hearts. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. The greatest danger of success, guys, is that we think more of ourselves than we ought to. You know, when we're doing well, it's, it's, um, it probably has less to do with us and more to do with, with just what, what's going on than we would like to think. And this is human, though. I mean, when, when somebody who is wealthy walks into a room, everybody wants to hear what they have to say because somehow, even if they inherited it, they're smarter than everybody else, which isn't really true. I mean, how many times has Congress called in Hollywood stars to testify about the environment or agriculture? Why? Because they're rich and famous. I mean, they've never grown anything in their lives, and they might have read a book on the environment once and drive a Prius, but they don't know anything. But they're rich and famous, and so we got to hear what they have to say, right? Don't fall for that delusion. If things are good, what Paul's saying is we have to avoid pride. We have to avoid pride. And if things are not good, then we have to avoid discouragement because it's not a determination of our self-worth. Super important. Net worth does not equal self-worth. Third thing we need to change in our thinking is this. Money does not equal security. Money does not equal security. Back to to 1 Timothy 6.17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. And then he goes on. Nor to put their hope in wealth. Don't look to wealth as your security, he's saying, which is so uncertain. In other words, it can evaporate like that. But put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You know, during the Great Depression back in the 1920s, there was, well, the Roaring Twenties. You've heard of the Roaring Twenties. It was this time of economic explosion. 
The stock market for, tw- for 10 years was up and to the right. It was an amazing time, and it was a time of opulence where people began over a period of about 10 years to put their hope in, in money and what they could make and on the, in the stock market and all this other stuff. And then in 1929, the market crashed, and there are all these pictures of people jumping out of buildings in New York City, ending their lives because their hope was in their money. That's, that's pathetic. It's pathetic. Guys, financial crises happen. Inflation happens. Crashes happen. Depressions happen. I don't know when. I don't know how. I just know that they do. And there is, if your hope is in Christ, there's always life on the other side. You'll come through. You might lose everything and then make it back again. I don't know. But if our hope is in stuff, it's shifting sand. It, is, it, it, it can be gone like that. And the truth is, at the end of this life, every one of us dies. And, um, and you can't take it with you. I have yet to see a U-Haul truck following a hearse. doesn't happen. There's a pile of stuff left behind that somebody else gets to waste for you. And in the meantime, your kids grow up and realize, uh, and you realize that you're alone that you don't really know them, that you never made the memories that you could have had with them. And that pile of money isn't all that satisfying, really. And we realize we traded what matters most for shifting sand. If your security is in your stuff, it can be gone in a blink. And if your security is in your stuff, you will be a slave to stuff. And stuff is a lousy master. It's a fantastic servant. It's a lousy master. But if your security is in God, he promises to provide for us both in this world and in the next. And that is money in the bank. Fourth thing, stinginess does not equal stewardship. Stinginess does not equal stewardship. He says, command them to do good, the rich people. Them rich people, we got to command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul is saying here is instead of asking, how can I keep as much as possible saying, we need to be asking the question, how can I give as much as possible? It isn't about dying with the biggest pile of stuff. It's about living the best life along the way. And how can I, how can I share? How can I give the most possible? Jesus, when he was at the temple, the the story of the widow's might, this widow shows up at, at the offering box and she throws in two pennies and he stops everything. He calls it audible, time out. Everybody come here, you gotta see this. And he points out that this woman just put in two pennies into the offering and it was all that she had. But he said, you know, the guy who put in $50,000 right before she did, that was less than the two pennies that she put in because the two pennies she put in was everything. It stretched her in generosity. It, it stretched her heart towards God. The guy who gave the $50,000, He's probably not even going to miss it. But, but she, 
she sacrificed in the direction of God and the direction of others, and that's huge. Guys, God wants to stretch our hearts and our characters in the direction of generosity for our own good, for our own freedom. Now, a lot of times people will ask, well, how do, we, how do I do that? What's, what's that look like? And, um, you know, in, in the Bible, it, it teaches us about, it gives us some guardrails to run on or some rails to run on with this. And uh, the Bible teaches us that, that we are to give the first 10% of what we're blessed with materially to God. It's called a tithe. Um, and if, you're, if you don't tithe, uh, you're missing out. It's really just an amazing, amazing practice. It will begin to change the way you handle money in your heart. Uh, it's one of those practices that changes the way you think, the way that you see the world, and it's powerful. But this isn't a message on tithing. I'm just giving you a, just a little bit here on, on this topic. But what I have found in myself and in other people is over the years is once you begin to tithe, and God just fills in the gaps in between. You'll find you can go further on 90% and just the organization that it forces you to, to do to be able to do that and God's blessing on top of all that. You'll go way further on 90% than you can go on 100% and pretty soon you're not even going to miss it. Kind of like that guy who gave $50,000 and isn't going to miss it. And that's not the point. The 10% isn't the point. It's stretching our heart. That's the point building our character, our generosity muscle. And so the, the encouragement is to, to increase your percentage as you can. You know, and if it's 10%, it's 10%. But if you can go to 11 or 12, there was a guy uh, in the early 20th century, uh, his name's R.G. Letourneau. He actually invented heavy equipment like bulldozers and that kind of stuff. And he was a Christian and he started out tithing 10%. And uh, every time, he's famous for saying you can't outgive God. That's kind of his line. Um, but every, you know, every time he would increase his percentage, God would pour, pour more into his lap. And, and by the time he was, by the time he died, uh, he was living on 10% and giving away 90%. Um, and he had a tremendous impact on our world. And uh, again, famous for saying you can't outgive God. When God finds someone who is a generous giver, he will resource them to give. Because at the end of the day, guys, the goal isn't to die with the most stuff. It's to have the best life possible and to live the best life possible. And as the Apostle Paul puts it, to send the most on ahead. We can't take it with us, but we can send it on as we invest in other people and getting other people uh, into uh, God's kingdom with us. And we are to not just kind of hang out and go, okay, I do my 10%, I'm kind of following the rules, but we're to grow our generosity on the way up. And, and if for whatever reason we find ourselves on the way down, we don't lose our generosity on the way down. Generosity is, something, is not something for later, and it's not something just for the rich. It's for all of us. Now, the, the amounts will change, but this is a character issue, guys. And it starts with the little 
that we have. John Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, one of the, one of the wealthiest, well, he was the wealthiest man alive uh, when he was alive. Uh, it started Standard Oil um, and really kind of led the oil industry in the early years. He is famous for saying this, I never would have been able to tithe on the first million dollars I ever made if I had not tithed on my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. $1.50 a week. So $1.50, 15 cents, million dollars, 100,000. Big difference in the number, right? But in God's eyes, it is the sacrifice. It is the stretching ourselves. And at a buck 50, 15 cents is a stretch. At a million, 100,000 feels like a stretch. But it might not even be, you know. Grow it as you go. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Start now. Start where you are. It's just a proportion. All right, so that's, that's the right thinking. What about the right doing? How do we practically, because finances are a practical matter, and there are some practical things that you can do that will cut the edge on the tension and the fear surrounding money. First one is this, know your financial situation. Know your financial situation. Don't just assume, don't fly blind. In Proverbs 27 and verse 23 and 24, Solomon is writing to his son, Rehoboam, who is about to inherit the kingdom. He's going to be the next king. And he tells them this, tells him this. He says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds. These would have been assets. This is know what you've got. Know where things stand as, in as much as your bank accounts or assets or those kinds of things. Flocks and herds would have been a, an equivalent in their day. He says, for, the rit for riches do not endure forever. And a crown, in other words, you're going to be king next. A crown is not secure for all generations. Know where you stand. Take a, an account of what you have, what you've got coming in, and what you have going out. Don't live in assumption. Guys, today we have been conditioned for years to just swipe the card and keep going. We don't have time to actually do the math. And most of us have never been trained to balance a checkbook or sit down and put together a budget where we tell every dollar where to go rather than wondering where it went. Very important practices to learn. Now, I don't have time in this message to teach them to you, but I'm going to offer you something at the end of the message. So hang on there to, to help you uh, put this into practice in your life. Second thing, second practice is this. Live below your means. Don't spend everything you make. This is tough because, again, countercultural. Um, in Proverbs 22, verse 7, it says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Guys, when you spend more than you make, you are inherently a borrower. You're inherently a debtor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Most Americans live paycheck to paycheck, and this is not, this is not a point of guilt. I'm not saying, and bad you. 
There is a way to correct that. Again, we say all the time, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. There is a path out of debt. Again, I'm going to share at the end of the message, so hang, hang in there. But most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That has become normal. And most, I think a majority of Americans are living with considerable debt. Now, this is going to become harder with inflation. Living below your means becomes harder uh, with the inflation that's going on right now. But it is doable. But it does mean living maybe a step below the lifestyle that all your neighbors are living. Did you know that your neighbors are broke? Did you know that they're leveraged up to the eyeballs and they're having money fights all the time and, and they're living beyond the lifestyle that they can afford to live because most Americans are? Means not putting our identity in our vehicle or our house or any of those things, but putting our identity and our hope in Christ and, and living, choosing to live a step below. And this could be buying less house than you think you can afford or less car than you, can think you, you think you can afford or if you can't afford all the Christmas presents that you want to get at Christmas time for your kids, you don't put them on the credit card. Uh, it means if you can't afford that dream wedding that, that everybody you know, dreams about, don't have the dream wedding that everybody dreams about. When Christy and I got married, we didn't have a lot of money. We had been doing... Uh, a nonprofit ministry thing for a bunch of years. We didn't have anything, so we were at the mercy of her parents um, for the wedding. And the average wedding then, I think, was going somewhere between twenty-five and fifty thousand um, dollars. And uh, her parents were like, "You got five. And we pulled off the coolest wedding ever for five thousand dollars, no debt. Um, but we could have easily spent fifty. And the, and the rationale is, well, I'm only going to get married once, and I need to have the pictures and the best photographer. And, the, and I had a friend take pictures. I had a friend do the wedding. We were in a little church. It was awesome. We had a blast. Don't, I mean, if you can afford it, spend all you want. But don't go into debt. Don't spend more than you got. Same thing with college. You know, I, I can't tell you how many folks I've talked to who, especially in the area of ministry, they'll go off and get a ministry degree somewhere, get out of school with $100,000 in debt and can't afford to do ministry. And it's not just in ministry. There's, you know, tons of people working at Starbucks trying to pay off their student loans and they won't get them paid off until they're 60 years old. Live below your means. But again, if your hope is in stuff and in status and all that, you can't. You're stuck. Third thing, save some for tomorrow. Save some for tomorrow. Proverbs 21, 20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Don't eat everything. Save some. Save some for tomorrow because rainy days happen. You are likely to age out of the workforce before you're ready to die. And so you'll have to save some money for that. If you're relying on social security, you might want to do the math. Opportunities will present themselves that if, if you've got some money saved up, you can take advantage of. I've told the story a bunch of times about the first house that we ever bought. We bought a house for $25,000. 
It was, it was a God thing. The doors opened and it was a great house. It was like a, but it needed a lot of work. But I offered them half of what they were asking for it and they took it because I offered them cash. Wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. That was an opportunity that opened up because we had been disciplined and we had saved for tomorrow and had been doing that for years. Don't miss the opportunities. But here's the other part of this. If living below your means means you're going to have to live a step below your neighbors, this may mean you have to live two steps below your neighbors. Who cares? It's a great way to live. Fourth, share some today. Share some today. Ephesians 4.28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. I love this. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. These people are as screwed up as we are. Stop stealing, he says. You, but you must work. Do something useful with their own hands. All right, now you would think the next thing that Paul was gonna say is so that they can pay their own way, so that they can feed themselves and their families. And I think that's kind of assumed in there, but the thing that Paul emphasizes is this, that they may have something to share with those in need. Like go get a job, stop stealing, that you might have something to share with those. And like this ethic of generosity, this ethic of making a difference in other people's lives is so profound, so central to, to living free in here when it comes to money, to not living in fear. That he's like, go get a job so you have something to share. Like, this is a big deal. So share some today. Very, very important. Guys, there's so much more I could say on this topic. And, and what I've shared is a ton. And it's, and we all have a lifetime of habits to change and, and mindsets to shift. And that doesn't happen because you listen to one message. You need to drill in on this topic. You need to spend some time here. You know, when, when people get involved in doing CrossFit, there, there, there's three things that really make the difference. One, they have a plan. There's a, there are tracks to run on. Two, they invest time. They come, you know, however many days a week. And three, they have people that they're doing it with. And over the course of time, it becomes a part of who they, they are. And they see results very fast. But that's not going to happen on your own. It's not going to happen without investing the time. And it's not going to happen without the tracks to run on. Guys, I want to offer you tracks to run on, people to run with, and a plan to put in place that will help you get what we talked about today deep into your heart and deep into your practices. And it's called Financial Peace University. We offer it here at the church annually, usually. Um, and uh, and we're, we're, it starts this week. In fact, it starts Tuesday. And if you've never done Financial Peace University, whether you are in debt or you're not in debt, these habits will serve you well the rest of your life. And I want to challenge you to be a part of the class, to build these new habits, to make these mindset shifts. It's going to take a little bit of time, a little bit of effort. You need a plan and you need some people. The average family or the average household will pay off going through Financial Peace University $5,300 in 90 days. 
That's how profound these practices and principles are. And my guess is you probably could use that. And if you're not in debt, imagine taking that and putting that in the direction of good because you'll know what you have, where it's going, and you'll tell it where to go. Now, Financial Peace University uh, is a program put on by uh, the Dave Ramsey organization. We host it here, and it costs about $130 to participate. But we've had so many people go through this program over the years that have turned around and said, I'm going to donate money so somebody else can go. And so we have, a schol- we have scholarships. And so I'm going to ask you, if you want to participate, pay what you can, we'll pay the difference. I'm going to, we're going to put a floor on it. You've got to come up with at least $20. Like, you've got to have some skin in the game. But get in the game, get in this class, and learn these things. Just listening to this message is not going to change your behavior, and it's not going to change your mind long term. You've got to spend some time dialing into this. All right, the last thing is simply this. Anyone who wants to try tithing, because we've talked about that a little bit, I want to make that easy for you to try. God says, test me in this in the book of Malachi. And so if you are listening to this message, you go, you know what, I need to start doing that. Maybe God convicted you about that when I was talking about it. I want to make it easy for you to do it. And that's this. We call it a tithe challenge. You just basically let me know that you want to do the tithe challenge, and you make a commitment to tithe for the next three months. First 10% goes to God. Tithe to the church. And at the end of that three months, if you haven't seen God work in your life or you regret that you've done that, you contact me, and we will refund every penny. All right? So it's a no-risk situation for you. It is a powerful practice, and it's not about getting more money from people for the church. It's about God setting your heart free, and it's a powerful practice in that pursuit. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you have a plan for freedom for us from fear, uh, Lord, from the, from the fear of not having enough, from the, the need to get more, God, that you have uh, a life full of contentment and joy, God, and that you promise to provide Help us to live in that truth, God, as you work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.